So this morning, all right, are y'all ready? Okay, it's been a while since I preached, so we're going to get after it this morning. I told, I told Kevin I'd find five minutes. I, I'm just going to speak faster. In your Bibles, I want you to turn to the Old Testament of 1 Samuel chapter 22. When I was in college, I went to a military college called the Citadel in Charleston, South Carolina. I didn't really understand exactly what it was all about before I got there. I went there to play basketball and I was on scholarship. So it was like whatever they told me to do, I was going to do because I wanted to play ball. And of course, they shaved my head. They gave me a uniform, took my clothes and uh, told me when, when to march, when to, when to wake up, when to go to bed, uh, what I could eat, what I couldn't eat. All those kind of things my first year when I was there. But I want you to know, I, I was introduced to some unbelievable men while I was at the Citadel. Unbelievable focused men, men who, who had said that I'm going to do something for my country and I'm going to join a service. And I'll never forget the guys that were in my company, Foxtrot. We had several in there who wanted to be Navy SEALs. Anybody know what that, that is? Okay, th- these are the tough of the tough, right? These are the good dudes you send in when you want something done. And I'll never forget having conversation with these guys as the years went on, as they begin to train to become a Navy SEAL upon graduation. And I'd ask them oftentimes in the midst of their heavy training, why are you doing what you're doing? And their comment was, because we know that there will be a day that will come, dot, dot, dot. We know there's going to be a day in which we're going to be called on to defend our country. And we want to be prepared. We're just a week, uh, a week away, I mean, a week removed from uh, July 4th, Independence Day, right? Many of you here served in our, uh, our armed services along the way, and we thank you for doing that. But along with Independence Day, there was a movie that was out. I mean, it was streaming every, like, two hours. You know what movie that was? Independence Day, right? Makes sense, right? Independence Day. Streaming over and over again. Y'all remember that movie? Right, aliens came, right? right? This is fictitious, right? So if you're looking online, you say, hey, Rick said there's aliens. There's no aliens. It was a movie. And these aliens were coming to invade the earth. And we had a president back then, right? A movie president. And, and, and he was gathering the troops because there was in the midst of, they were going to be annihilated. And he said these words. I love these words at the end of his speech. So he gathers these pilots, right? And, and these were pilots from all walks of life. And some could really fly and some could not fly. And they're going to put them in these fighter jets and we're going to go fight. And he said this. He says, we will not go quietly into the night. We will not vanish without a fight. We're going to live on. We're going to survive. Sounds like desperation, doesn't it? It sounds like a group of folks who knew that there was a mission in front of them. And if they failed in the movie, they may not exist anymore. Today's sermon is called A Dangerous Soldier. And it's a dangerous soldier for Christ. What does that look like? We live in a world, y'all, that is unlike anything I grew up in. Now, some of you who may be teenagers are going, yeah, you know, Brother Rick, this is kind of what we grow up in. But I didn't grow up in this world. I grew up in a world that was completely different just 20, 30, 40 years ago. And we're fighting against things today that we've never had to fight against. 
And I've got grandkids now, and I look at my grandkids, and I begin to ask these questions that I haven't had to ask. My questions are to my, myself is, how are my grandkids going to grow up in this world and not become like this world? How are they going to grow up with these core values that are Scripture and Scripture-based? And even though they have Christian parents, and even though they go to church, how in the world are they going to survive in what we call life without getting sucked into this thing? called culture. How? You know, the Bible is full of warriors who fought. And I won't go through them all, and I, I've shared this before. In Hebrews chapter 11, you, you have these warriors that are mentioned, like Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Moses, the obvious ones. And then later on in that chapter, it goes to the unobvious ones. He says, others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging while others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated in verse 38. And I love this verse. The world was not worthy of them. Those were dangerous warriors of God. Amen? These were warriors who would change the world as it was known back then. The question I have today is, who are the next generation of warriors, dangerous men and women of God, who is going to change the things that are around them? 1 Samuel chapter 22. We come to this passage of Scripture and it's amazing. I love the Old Testament. I don't know if y'all love the Old Testament. I grew up with it, right? So we're sitting around grandma's house having dinner and, and she would open up and she'd begin to tell us stories, you know, about Moses and taking the people out of Egypt and the, and the waters parting and about David and Goliath. Remember that story? We all love that story. Well, in chapter 17 of 1 Samuel, David, this teenage boy, goes against the mighty warrior from the Philistines and instantly he kills Goliath, and he becomes this, this hero, hero over the entire nation. They look at David. And in chapter 17, he's this hero. And by the end of chapter 18 into 19, he becomes the villain. King Saul is jealous of David. And he goes from being this hero that everybody wants to this guy who's on, on the run for his life. Now think about that. It'd be a tough road, right? You'd be asking a lot of questions. God, how did I go from here down to here? And we come to chapter 22. David's been on the run. And I'll read the first two verses. So David left Gath and took refuge in the cave of Adullam. Adullam was a, a village there, and uh, that word literally means refuge. And he took refuge in this cave near this town. This town was literally a mile, mile and a half from the valley in which David slew Goliath. When David's brothers and his, fa his father's whole family heard about him in this cave, they went down and it says, and joined him there. Verse two, in addition, every man who was desperate, in debt, or discontented, rallied around him and he became their leader. About 400 men were with him. This was the beginning of David's army. 
These men who was underneath Saul and, and they were desperate and, and they were indebted and they were discontent and they went, let's go join David. Let him become our leader. And these men became his army. Three marks of a dangerous soldier of Christ. Here's number one. A dangerous soldier is absolutely desperate for hope. Y'all hear me? A dangerous soldier is always desperate for hope. Psalm 91 verses 14 and 16 read like this. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him, literally providing escape for him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Do you realize that to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have to be desperate for Jesus? You gotta be desperate to leave the sin that separates you from a holy God behind and reach for a holy God through Jesus Christ. Romans 15, 13 says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. You know, when I was at the Citadel and I'd go on these military um, exercises, if you will. We, we just played games out in the swamps. It was interesting that the ones who were there that really were going to graduate and go into the service were always like more into it than those who were going to graduate with just a degree and go into civilian work. They were much more desperate to win the day. They were much more desperate to capture the flag than those who were just going to graduate and go into civilian work. See, God isn't looking for perfection in our lives. He is looking for desperation. This picture of being desperate for who God is in my life. A soldier desperate for hope is a soldier who knows he can't do it alone, who believes in the mission and has faith in the one who's leading that mission. Sounds like salvation, doesn't it? Sounds exactly like that. You know, we can't come to a holy God prideful about how good we are. There has to be this sense within us that says, I'm not good enough. I cannot do this alone. I can't get to heaven by myself because of the stuff that's in me. And then I have to believe in the mission. This picture of Jesus coming to this earth to do one thing, and that was to seek and to save the lost the desperate, the ones who are far away from him. And I have to believe in the one who's leading that mission, the person of Christ. At the young age of seven years old in my grandmother's home, I was asked this question of whether or not I wanted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I didn't know a lot, but I did know that without Jesus, I could never get to heaven. I did know that without Jesus, I had no hope as a seven-year-old. And that day I gave my life. I didn't know it was desperation, but that is exactly what it was. I've had people in my office who are desperate in this life. Things aren't going well. And I always ask the question, where are you with the person of Jesus? Oh, I get these answers. Oh, you know, I go to church, Rick. 
I said, that's fantastic. I've served in the cafe. Man, that's wonderful. But who is Jesus in your life? And I've led many people to the Lord in my office because they were desperate for something that they knew was missing in their life. There has to be this desperation that we have. In Luke 19, here's Zacchaeus, and he was a tax collector, and you know, he was kind of the scourge, if you will. And Jesus told Zacchaeus that day, he says, Today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the Zacchaeus and a Rick and a Bill and a Tom and a Linda and a Debbie. That's what Jesus has done. He's come to seek us, those who are desperate for him. You know, David was this desperate man. I have a hard time understanding sometimes why, when I think about um, David being a man, God proclaimed this, a man after my own heart, and yet he was such a sinful man, right? He was an adulterer. He was a murderer. He did things wrong, and yet God said he was after my own heart. David was desperate in his life. And he wrote Psalm 34 when he was being, when he was fleeing, when he was this enemy of, of King Saul. And he said this in Psalm 34. He says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescue him. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry for help. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears and delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is near the brokenhearted. He saves those crushed in spirit. The Lord redeems the life of his servants and all who take refuge in him will not be punished. David was a desperate man in need of a God who would show him mercy and grace. So we need to be a desperate soldier. A dangerous soldier is one who is desperate for hope. But here's number two. A dangerous soldier is indebted because of grace. Indebted because of grace. My company had a guy who was a uh, military. He was in the military. We weren't in the military yet. He was in the military. And each company had a military liaison, if you will, to their company. So people could ask questions. He was there. This guy was the most decorated officer of the Vietnam War. He was a helicopter pilot. He wouldn't talk a lot about what he did to become, have all these decorations. But one thing that he always talked about, that he was indebted all the time to the men that he served with while he was in Vietnam. He talked about them constantly, about how much that they were indebted to each other because of what they did for each other. Here's a question I have for us this morning. Have you ever taken the time to count the ways you should be in debt to Jesus for what he has done for you? <clears throat> have we ever taken a moment and got off by ourselves and begin to count the things in your life that Jesus has done for you? How he has shown you grace along the way. I wrote down just a few. Jesus he provides comfort. He provides joy and peace and kindness and goodness. He provides redemption. 
He provides restoration. He provides salvation. He, he provides love and hope and faith. He provided creation. He gives faithfulness. He provided forgiveness and wisdom and mission. He provided this, the word. He also provided the body of Christ, you and I. And these are just a few. What do I have to be grateful for, for what Jesus has done for me? Do I think about those things? Do I remind myself of those things so that when I come to church, it's just not coming to church. When I worship, it's just not to sit there and watch somebody else worship. But I'm so full of gratitude. I'm indebted so much to who Jesus is that I worship him with everything that is in me and thank him for that. You know, I challenge you all to come on a Sunday morning early, maybe before the band gets here and the rehearses, and it's quiet. There's no distractions. There's no part of life that's in, you know, creeping in. You just come and pray. Let me tell you what happens. In my busy day in the office, I'll have a little quiet time. And, and, and I get along with the Lord, but there's always this thing in the back of my mind that, hey, my phone's going to ring, or I got to answer an email, or I got this project that I'm working on. And there's always this stuff, right, that gets in the way of this picture of worshiping and understanding what Christ has done for me. And then on a Sunday morning at 6.30, I come in here with a guy that I've mentored throughout the years, and we pray over every seat that's in this room. And I get on my face and there's no distractions. It's just God and me. And I want you to you know many times I weep because I realize in the quietness of the moment everything that Christ has done for me. When was the last time you did that? When was the last time you recognized him in your life? 1 Peter 5.10 says, And the God of all grace, which means the God of all favor, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. We all go through stuff. It's just true. We all have stuff. You got stuff, you'd share that, and I'd say, hey, man, I can, I can top that one, right? I got stuff. Jesus says, hey, listen, give it to me. I'll make you steadfast and strong. When you're going through these things in life, James 1 talks about this persecution. Not, when, not if you have trials, but when you have trials of many kinds. John 21 is a great picture. So if you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn. John chapter 21. It's the last book in the book of John. And I'm almost done. Go to verse 15. What, it mean, what does it mean to be grateful, indebted? And here's a story of Jesus restoring Peter. Because we know that just a little while earlier than this, that Peter denied Christ. Remember that story? And it says in that story that the eyes of Jesus met the eyes of Peter. And it says that Peter wept bitterly. We don't have any recollection. There's nothing recorded that Peter was actually at the crucifixion of Jesus. 
You would think if he was, had been there, it had been recorded by somebody. So he probably was so ashamed of what he had done that he couldn't look Jesus in the eyes again. And yet Jesus had a plan for his life. And he didn't know it. He thought it was done. I'll just go back to being a fisherman. And by the way, that's where we see him here in this story. He's back fishing. And Jesus shows up on the shoreline. And when they come over, they kind of knew who Jesus was, but everybody was kind of afraid to say it. And then they recognized they it was Jesus. And this is what Jesus did. I love this. It says, when they had eaten breakfast, so Jesus cooked breakfast there in the shoreline, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Simon responded, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. And Jesus does this three times. And every time I can see Peter getting a little bit more frustrated, Jesus wanted him to understand everything that he had done for Peter. And the last time he asked him, do you love me? Peter said, you know that I love you. Verse 17, he said, feed my sheep. I assure you, when you were young, when you were young, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you, were, when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to signify by what kind of death that he would glorify God. And after saying this, he said, he told him, follow me, Peter. You're up to the task. Everything I've done for you, I need you to be desperate again. I need you to be indebted again because you're going to be different. And we see in Acts chapter 4, Pastor Kenneth has been walking us through Acts. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible is verse 13 because I identify. Here's the Sanhedrin that could have crucified Peter just like they crucified Jesus. Peter stands up bold. And this is what they said, verse 13 of Acts 4. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Grace. Peter was indebted to what Jesus had done for him and he made up his mind that day on the shoreline of the Galilee that he was going to follow Jesus again. If we're not dangerous soldiers of Christ, then really, what are we? Jesus says in John 15, that says, if you abide in me, if you remain in me and I in you, he says that you're going to bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Are we grateful for the things that Jesus has done? Number three, a dangerous soldier is discontent. Hear me. A dangerous soldier of Jesus is discontent with mediocrity, with average. We know in Revelation 3, it says, so because you are lukewarm, Jesus says, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You're no good to me. Mediocrity, being average. In Isaiah 29, the Lord said this, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules they have been taught. Whoo! That's the church today. So many of us come to church because our parents brought us to church. Not because you have a conviction to be here, but because, oh, that should be the norm. Listen, have this thing in our heart that says we want to come to worship a holy God and not play the game. Be dangerous for Jesus. Be discontent with being average in this life. 
Because God isn't looking for comfortable. He is looking for the discontented. Let me read that verse again in Second Sam, I mean Samuel 22. Every man who was desperate in debt or discontented rallied around him and he became their leader. About 400 men with him. If you go, and we won't go to this, we don't have time, but if you go to the next book, 2 Samuel, you'll read about in, in chapter 23 these mighty men of David. Mighty warriors and, and their exploits. I mean, there's one guy I think defeated 800 Philistines. I don't know if that's true, but that was what was written down. Somebody wrote it down. Another one in a battle when everybody else fled, stood to the front and defeated the army. There was one, Benaiah, who went into a cave on a snowy day and he killed a lion. I mean, who does that? These were the, probably the most dangerous men in all of biblical times. They were discontent with mediocrity. They wanted to be something more in their lives. The apostles were the same way. I got this note from a young man that um, I led to the Lord. I'm closing with this. So he sent me an email. Led him to the Lord probably whoo, 25 years ago, maybe, maybe probably 30 years ago. His name is Gary. And... Um, he wrote me this email because he is getting ready to send a letter to all his former teammates. He was a high school basketball player. He was little when I was in Frankfort, Indiana. And uh, he lived two doors down from me. His, his daddy was the principal of the high school. You know, it's kind of a hero to Gary when he was little. He's grown up. He's a sophomore or junior in college. And I invite him down to Memphis, Tennessee, where I was with a Christian basketball team. And we were doing Christian camps in Memphis, and I asked them to come down and be part of our team, our leadership team, one of the coaches. And this is what he writes. He says, the reason I'm writing to you is to share a letter that I am sending to friends from my past that I no longer get to see. The Lord has put a real burden on my heart for doing this. I'm sending it your way to let you know the pivotal role you have played in my life. I was as lost as lost could be when you invited me to Memphis that summer before my senior year of college to work that hoops camp. It took hearing the word from guys I respected as ball players to open my mind and heart to the gospel of Jesus. Not only was I saved as a result of my experience, all three of my children are followers of Christ today. Y'all hear that? Here's a young man, I say young, you know, Gary's probably in his 40s, who is absolutely discontent with the status quo. And hear me when I say this. He hasn't talked to his friends in years. They're probably not looking for a letter. They're not looking for a phone call from Gary. They've gone through their life. They, they, they've moved on from their basketball days with Gary in high school and college. But the Holy Spirit was working on Gary's life because Gary wants to be dangerous for the gospel. He wants to be dangerous for the gospel. And he wrote this letter, and I read this letter, and it's full of scripture about how to come to know Christ and why it's important to him. And I want you to know that he wants to claim the day as being somebody who's going to walk with Jesus as a dangerous soldier for the gospel. We need dangerous soldiers for the gospel to change things in this world. We can't get in our holy huddles 
and hibernate and expect everything to get better around us. We've got to go that way, (laughs) y'all. We've got to take the gospel message to those around us. It may be a letter that you send to people in your family who are lost or friends that are lost. It may be a neighbor that you invite over that you've gotten to know here recently and you can share in truth what God has done in your life. Because in the end, we need soldiers who are going to be mighty and dangerous for the Lord. Here's my impact point. Paul wrote this. He said, fight the fight. Finish the race. Keep the faith. And get the crown. Fight the fight. Finish the race, keep the faith, and get the crown. Fight the fight, finish the race, keep the faith, and get the crown. A dangerous soldier of Christ wins in the end because of who Jesus is. 